Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. This normally I would, I like to start with a, an illustration because I want you guys to understand the relevance of kind of, I, I was taught to teach adult learners at the police academy, as many of you know, and, and so we were told, give an illustration, tell them why, you, why they need to hear what you're about to say. And so I, I, a lot of times I'll start with an illustration to grab your attention to make sure you have a true understanding of where we're going and why it's important that you hear what's about to be said. I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to give you three verses is all the introduction I'm going to have. And I'm going to ask that the Word of God be your introduction to the truth of God today. Amen? And I might read these twice. I don't know. But I need you to hear the verses that I'm about to give you. The, and so the first one is John fifteen nineteen. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. You hear what? You hear what they're saying, what Jesus is saying here? You don't belong to anyone except for God. God gave his son so that you might no longer be a citizen of this world, but literally just a sojourner going through this world to get to the next one. And so don't put root here. Don't establish yourself here to the degree that it disqualifies you from there even if it means the world hates you. Because they hated him, they're going to hate you. Because the truth is in you. You ever wonder why people don't hate Muslims? Or people don't hate Buddhists? Or people don't hate even Satanists? Because they don't have any truth for the stand opposed to their, to their lifestyle. Only the Christian faith, in the name of Jesus, has what I'm going to call uncomfortable and offensive truth. And it should be offensive to those people that hear it that aren't living in it. My prayer is that the word unsettle us, be so offensive to our flesh that it causes us to force, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a decision in us to walk in righteousness. Because we're not in the world, or we're not of the world, we're in the world. And James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father is this. So he said, you want to know how to do this right? You want to know what pure religion looks like? This is how. It's simple. Keep one. It says, it says to, uh, I, I didn't put this piece in, but it says to, to deal with or to take care of the widows and orphans. Another place it says, to, to tend to those, to visit those in prison. And then it says to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so he's saying, listen, you want pure religion? And let me tell you, people that say, I'm, I'm not a religious person, I'm a spiritual person, is neither of those things. 
If you're going to be a spiritual person, you have to be a religious person. The definition of religion is the fundamental acceptance of a certain set of doctrines or truths and adherence to the same. That is religion. And so we have a fundamental set of doctrines. We are religious people, and those religious articles, fundamentals, drive us to spirituality in Christ Jesus. But true religion looks like taking care of people that can't take care of themselves, and it looks like keeping yourself unstained from the world. And then 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says this, Do not love the world. Do not. Everybody say do not. Do not. I'm, I'm going to be very selective in my phraseology today. I'm going to try to be slow in my speech because I want us to get these truths today. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Did you catch that? It's pretty black and white. God's not trying to play mind games with you. The Spirit's not trying to con convince you of any truth. He's just telling you what the truth is and requiring that as a Christian you stand on it. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also it gives lust. And also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. I, I, I use these three verses very intentionally. This is the world. This is us. If we ever determine to compromise with the world, then we are outside the will of God. When the world requires that we compromise the word and will of God. And let me tell you, the world is always going to ask you to compromise the word of God. Because it stands in direct opposition to it. So, with this in mind, Pergamum, the church in Pergamum, is what we're studying today out of Revelation chapter 2. The church in Pergamum was a compromising church. They, they allowed the world into their church. And Jesus had something to say to them. Now I'm going to use the same format I've been using, which is talk about the community first, and then the, the, uh, the, the Christ that is, is the messenger, that delivers the message. I, and then I'm going to talk about community, or not community, I'm going to talk about uh, commendation and then correction, and then finally the comfort. But there is significant correction for this church. And so, but let me talk about the community. Well, let me read it first. Chapter 2, verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 12. And the angel of the church of Pergamum write, The one who has the sharp, two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, says Satan. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name, and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, one who is killed amongst you where Satan dwells. 
But I have a few things against you. Because you have their sum. Y'all catch that? Sum. There's a little leaven in the bread. He says, all of this stuff is good. The church as a whole, the message is that the church as a whole, whatever percentage that is, was doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. Doing, being faithful to God, just exactly as they were supposed to be doing. But they tolerated some. It says, but I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold the teachings of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So that also, let me move my mic down a little bit, get some pop or something. That's not you, that's me. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and a new name written on the stone, which one, no one knows but he who receives it. So he starts out by addressing the church in Smyrna. Let me tell you a little bit about the, the city, I'm sorry, not Smyrna, Pergamum. The city of Pergamum. It's located 15 miles off the coastline of the Aegean Sea. Not really that relevant. But it, it was the capital of Asia. And at the time that this was written, it had been the capital for about 250 years. So this was a very well-established capital city. It, was, it has existed at the time of Revelation about as long as the United States has existed as the United States. And they had three things that distinguished them. They had the largest library in the ancient world short of the library in Alexandria. They had multiple idol temple, temples to, to false gods in their city. And as we talked about last week, much like the city of Smyrna, they had a temple to the Roman emperor, which was very common because it was Rome and that was just the case. And they, the city itself was loyal to all three of those things. So there's three real stumbling blocks. There's three real problems in the city of Pergamum when John writes to them, when Jesus writes to them. That is, they were highly educated. They were idol worshipers. And because of the Roman temple, they stood under governmental influence. I want you to listen to that. They had three things standing against them at the church in Pergamum. They had a huge library. Sadly, many of us get to a place, and at the surface it doesn't seem like that big a deal, but sadly you get to a place where you're so educated you can't be taught anything. You become haughty. You think you have all the answers, and you become unpliable in the hands of God, in the Spirit of God. You, you disallow the working of the Spirit in your life. So they had that, and then they had idol worship. We are the best at this. When I say we, I mean human beings. We will make an idol out of anything. 
more often than not, the idols that we worship these days are us and governmental influence. Pastor Rick and I were talking before the church service started, and I think this, in our context, will be the biggest thing we have to deal with in the future as church preaching, teaching, what's allowed to be said, what's not allowed to be said, is they try to legislate it. I think there will ultimately be some form of governmental oppression. There's already some form of governmental oppression, but I do believe that that's going to get worse and worse and worse. Why do I tell you all these things about the community? One, so that you'll know the backdrop of what John is speaking into, Christ through John is speaking into, but so that you can see the relevance to the society that we live in. And so that's the community. I want to talk to you real fast about the correspondent. Who, who's the author of this letter? The one who has the sharp, two-edged sword. He says this. Well, he says this. The one who has the sharp, two-edged sword says this. That two, the one who holds the two-edged sword is the risen Christ Jesus. If you'll look at 116, when John's describing Jesus as he saw him, he says it, in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. You know what the two-edged sword is? It's the Word of God. It is Jesus. The, the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. It was by the Word that creation existed. The Word is the sword of God. Amen? And so he's telling them, he's introducing himself, Jesus is, to the Pergamum church, based on what they need, which I think is so beautiful. They are compromising the truth, and he introduces himself as the truth. I'm going to compromise the truth. And essentially, he starts out with saying, no, I'm the truth. So listen to what I'm telling you. What you're doing is wrong. And he's, so he's saying, I am the truth. I am the sword. I am the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, just because I don't want to just make you think I just, well, that sounds cool. Let me give it to you from the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Paul used the sword, the metaphor of the sword, when he's talking about the the spiritual armor that we carry is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is what Ephesians chapter 6 says. The sword depicts the Word's potency and power. Did you hear what I said? In Hebrews, he said, it's able to cut coming and going. No one can walk away unscathed from the truth of the Word of God. And if you think that you can, there is judgment for you. There is a singular truth that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you don't allow Him to cut you open, to plant that seed in you, you will be cut open and judged. But you will be cut open by the Word of God. You have a decision to make. Do you accept the truth or do you not accept the truth? And this is what Jesus is saying to them. That I am the two-edged sword. It shows in Revelations 19.15 that he's the judge and the executioner. He describes himself in the second coming in Revelation 19.15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword 
so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. Those who don't accept the truth of the Word of God from Genesis 1 all the way to the last verse in Revelation, if you don't accept that as the inerrant truth of God, living but not pliable, then you have one expectancy at the end of your life. And that is to be tread upon like grapes by the wrath of God. Jesus took the wrath of God for those who were willing to submit to this truth. Those who don't submit to this truth still have the wrath of God coming. Is everybody all right? Do you understand what I'm saying? I want to make sure, like I said, I want to talk slow and intentional, but I need us to understand that Jesus has the authority as the truth to declare to us who we are, who we aren't, who we should be, and what he expects us to become. And so he tells the church at Pergamum, I am the truth. Listen to the truth. I need you to listen to the truth. Amen? How did this church get so corrupt? The church in Pergamum got corrupt 1313 A.D. There's a bunch of reasons, but primarily 1313 A.D. This is just a history lesson. Emperor Constantine ended Christian persecution. And when I'm talking about how did it become so corrupt, how did we get to where we are? He ended Christian persecution. And he named Christianity as the national religion. That's great. Wouldn't you love if America decided that it was going to be in a, by decree, a Christian nation? Wouldn't you love that? Would you? Because you shouldn't. Because let me tell you what happens. Those heathens who have heathen churches, who worship heathen gods and heathen temples, call themselves Christian so that they can continue to worship their heathen gods and their heathen temples under the name of Christianity, which just pollutes the truth. And that's how we get to where we are today. This is how we have a universal church that teaches that you can do whatever, whenever, however, because all you have to do is stamp the name of Christian on it, and it becomes okay. Let me tell you, just because they use the name of Jesus doesn't mean that they're saved or that they're preaching sound doctrine or any truth at all. I've been in a universal church. I had to go to a universal church because they were doing a class that is the only class available to get up, to be able to go into the prison and preach. And so for whatever reason, the TDOT or Tennessee Department of Corrections decided to use their classroom. And so I walk into their classroom. I walk out of their classroom. I sneak down to the sanctuary because I'm going to pray over their sanctuary. And there is, there is a literal pile of dirt on an altar in one area for the people that wanted to worship the ground, that wanted to worship Mother Earth. There's idols of all kinds all over this sanctuary so that people, there's a, there's a Jewish David's cross, there is a homosexual flag, they, wherever, whatever altar you want to worship at is available to you. This is what happens when we nationalize religion. Because people aren't changing their convictions because of legislation. Nor should we. Do you hear me? I don't care if 
by decree of the president or the Supreme Court, they say, you can't preach against sin anymore. You need to be willing to go to prison. Because we can't afford to compromise. I'll tell you, and I don't say it braggadociously, I don't say it out of my bravada, I don't say it, I don't say it for any other reason than it's absolutely true. If they determined to put me in prison for telling you the truth, then prison's where I'll preach from. But somebody will be there to hear it. And I expect, Jesus expects the same thing from you. Your life is not so important that you should try to hold on to it at the expense of the truth. And that's, that's the message that Jesus has given the, the city of Pergamum. So he gives them a commendation. He says, but you're doing some things right. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. There's a bunch, several reasons why he could have called it Satan's throne, but ultimately Zeus's temple was there. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how to say this. Asclepios's temple was there, which was a god of healing. Um, the Pergamum dealt with emperor worship. It was surrounded by idols. And so he says, I know, I know where you dwell. I know what you're dealing with. I know that Satan and the people around you are doing everything they can to destroy you. But stand firm. He told, he told them, he said, in spite of this, you're hanging in there. In spite of all of this, he says, they held fast and did not deny their faith. How many of you guys want God to say that about you at the end of your life? At the end of the day, did he hang in there? At the end of my life, do I hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or do I hear, depart from me, for I never knew you? I, I'm being intentional with this teaching tonight because this is, this is the end result of compromise. And I don't, I can't be the pastor that was unwilling to tell you the truth because I wanted to make sure you stayed or you were comfortable. If you're not comfortable here, ask God, why, are, why am I not comfortable? I have found that it's very rarely what the pastor says to me that's offensive, but what the pastor does say to me might be offensive to my spirit. And so I need to ask myself, what in me was triggered by that if what he said truly is true? This is what the church needs to do. We need to start accepting the hurt. Because that's God just trying to discipline us so that we hear what we desire to hear at the end, which is what they were hearing. Most of them were hearing. They held fast and did not deny their faith. This is the exemplified truth. This is, this is what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, 18. I will also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, the the rock that is the confession that you are the Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Hold fast. Even unto death, the gates of hell won't overpower the kingdom of God. But you got to know that. you got to believe that. you got to be able to stand on that to truly get to a place where you can stand on that. 
They hung in there. Even to the point of death. This Antipas is used as, a, as an example to say, listen, some of y'all hung in there even to the point that you got killed. Antipas, it's according to history, extra-biblical accounts, they believe Antipas was put inside of a brass bull, a, a hollowed-out brass bull, and roasted alive over an open flame. So as the heat got hotter and the brass began to glow red, he was inside of it. And in order to be taken out of it, all he'd have had to do was deny Jesus. But instead, he determined that he would slowly roast to death as in an oven. And out of that sentence, he gives correction. He says, most of you are hanging in there. Some of you even to the point of death. But those of you that aren't need to look at Antipas and realize that your life ain't worth saving if you're just going to hell anyway. And so the correction comes. He says, I have a few things to say against you. In verse 14 and 15. But I have a few things against you because you have there are some who hold the teaching of Balaam who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. If you'll go and you'll, you'll study your Bible, I want you to go to Numbers 22 through 25. You're going to find the story of Balaam, the prophet of Israel. You guys are familiar with this? You're more familiar with it because the donkey talked to him. He was contracted by Balak to put a curse on Israel. And, of course, he couldn't do it. He tried to do it, but God wasn't going to have his people cursed. Three times he went and tried to curse him. Three times he couldn't do it. So he went back to Balak, and he told him essentially this. I'm paraphrasing. He says, I can't, I can't curse them, but we can corrupt them. He says, tell your people, Balak, to have your women go into Israel and seduce them. And in their seduction, marry them. And in marrying them, which of course wasn't okay because the Jewish race was the Jewish race on purpose. It was pure race. It was kept in purity for a purpose. It sounded borderline racist. That's not what I meant. <laughs> um, they knew that if they could corrupt the people. They would follow whoever they attached themselves to. How I many of you guys do most of whatever your wife tells you to do? Right? You know why? Because they got most of the money and all the loving you can be around. And Balaam recognized that. Balaam's a man. He told Balak, get them to commit to women outside of their religion. And those pliable amongst them will follow them to corruption. When God can't curse you, or when, when the enemy can't curse you, he can't because you belong to God. He will try to corrupt you. It's our, it's our job to ensure that, that we don't submit to the stumbling block that Balak has put in front of us. 
to stand true to the truth, true to the commandments of God, true to what we've been called to do, what we've been called to be. And so they adhered to this heresy, not all of them, some of them, and to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Nobody really knows what the Nicolaitans were doing, um, just that they were leading some astray. And one commentary I read said that the Nicolaitans were likely basing a lot of their teachings, their false teachings, around the freedoms of Christ Jesus to draw people into excess and through that corruption. The whole point is the corruption. They were allowing corruption, whether by the teachings of Balaam to Balak or the Nicolaitans, they were being led to a place of corruption. And Jesus says, this has got to stop. Because if you don't, You have no hope of eternity. This is the importance of the message. So, therefore, in verse 16, therefore repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. I don't want that. I don't want the Jesus of Revelation 19, tread me like grapes. Amen. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He said, so recognizing that most of you are getting it right, some of you are getting wrong, know that if you repent, truly repent, don't just say I'm sorry, we've talked about repentance in this church, that repentance is a truly seeking the face of God for the truth of God that you might walk correctly according to the word of God, asking the spirit of God to dig sin out of you. It's not a flippant, I'm sorry about that. That does it, You're wasting your time. But if we truly repent, if we hear what he has to say, the spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give some of them hidden manna. That hidden manna, that's Jesus. That hidden manna, let me read this text to you. He is the bread of life. Come down from heaven. He's saying, to those of you that listen, those of you that repent, those of you that hear the correction and adhere to it, I will give you the bread of life. I will give you spiritual sustenance. The thing about manna, his manna is for the right now. He said, I'm going to sustain you spiritually. You might see oppression. You might see all these things. You might even be put to death. But I'm here. I'm here with you. And you can count that I'm going to be new every morning. That I'm going to be here faithful to you every morning. That I'm never going to allow you to be spiritually hungry. But then he says, but I've also got you in eternity. When he says, he promises a, right, a, a white stone. He says, I will give some the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. White stone was given when you played in the games, um, Olympic games or regional games or whatever. The victor always 
their trophy was a crown of, of leaves. So they coveted, they, they fought for that victory crown. But there was an equally important prize that they won. That is, whoever hosted the game would give them a white stone with their name edged in it. This stone served no other purpose than once the whole finale of the games was done at the end, whether it was a day, two days, a month, however long the games lasted, if you had the white stone, the host of the games had a feast. And that white stone was your ticket into that feast because only the victors got to eat in that feast. So he's saying if you'll endure, fight the good fight, Stay the, stay the course. Race the race. Win the stone. I'm going to be here for you while you're running. I'm going to be that fresh manna for you while you're running. But at the end of it all, you're going to have a ticket. You're going to have a white stone with your name on it. It says that nobody will know. I don't know if he's going to rename us or whatever. I'm not, I don't think that's the point. The point is we have a white stone and we've been invited to a dinner that only the victorious are, willing, are able to get into. Amen? My prayer is that we be the church of Pergamum, unwilling to compromise, fighting for what is right, fighting for the truth, standing and living in the truth, but being willing to admonish those who aren't. Because look what it says. Most of you are doing well. Some of you are not doing well. But the condemnation is to the whole. There's a spiritual responsibility we have to one another. Don't get offended when your brother comes up to you and says, Hey man, I, I've noticed this in your life. Can I talk to you about that? Because he doesn't want to be the church pergamum either. People say, What? You always call it church family. It's kind of been a theme, Pastor. Leonard prayed about it. I talked about it before. It's, it's, it's important because the, the end of the age is coming. And Jesus is coming quickly. And I don't want the church in Lebanon, the church in Lebanon, to be lacking. And I know God doesn't want it either. Amen?